let me start by <laughs> welcoming everyone to the fourth Monday of the month, ACB Diabetic in Action sponsored call. And uh, great to have you all here. It's always wonderful to see people show up and, and uh, take an interest in what we're doing. I see a lot of our members, a lot of a lot of our friends, and I'm so happy. Welcome, everyone, and thank you all for coming. Tom, I'll let you do the little commercial, okay. and then well, I'll introduce our guests. <laughs> for those of you who are here, I want to make sure to welcome everyone and, and let you know that we want you to feel as welcome as you want to be to be here. Also, uh, in addition to being here for our presentation this evening, uh, if you would like to become a member of ACBDA, it is a simple process to send a an email to acbdaorg, that's A-C-B-D-A-O-R-G, at gmail.com, and further detail can be obtained from that. And also, we do have a website which does accept PayPal, and as I say, that, that's information that we will share with you on how to do that another point. So with that in mind, uh, we'd like to say that our dues are just $10 a year at this point, and we really want to let everyone know the more members we have, the better our system looks to other people who are trying to either provide us any granting or for those people who might want to assist us in, 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 in getting our support. So with that in mind, I'll turn it over to the president and um, I will go from there. I'll let him make his remarks. And for those of you who are noticing that you're not muted, once you once we start, if you would please mute yourself if you're not talking or expected to talk, and we will be trying to help you with that along the way. So um, in any case, uh, Chris, go ahead, sir. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, membership chairperson. Appreciate that. And uh, just as one more word of encouragement, $10 a year is, is pretty good dues. <laughs> You get a newsletter for that and, and uh, all the perks and benefits of being a member of ACBDA. So enough about that. I'm so pleased that we have two distinguished guests tonight uh, to talk with us about something we don't know anywhere near as much about as we should, which is the standard, international standard for durable medical equipment. And I'm just so pleased to introduce uh, Tom Tobin and Ann Williams. And uh, I finally got your name right, Ann. I got it. Got yes, you mixed thank you. Somebody else the other day. I apologize about that. You might not even be aware of it. But anyway, we got that uh, corrected. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you both for being here. And I guess, uh, Tom, I'll turn the floor over to you and let you and Ann take it from here. All right, guys. Well, thanks, Chris, and thanks, everybody, for being here tonight. Um, I'd like to keep this uh, – we'd like to do a little bit of a presentation, but I'd like to keep it somewhat informal. Um, this is a little bit, I guess, an obtuse in the sense of what the work that Ann and I did on the International Standard Organization um, for three years running the standard um, – it was fascinating work for me. I had never done anything like it. And, uh, and, you know, has done some, a lot of this stuff. So 
What I thought we would do to start with, Chris, is to uh, give a little bit of an overview about what inter the International Standard Organization is, you know, who they represent, and then get into um, some of the details that came out of our three years working with just about every pharmaceutical company on the planet to um, come up with this standard on uh, really, it's, not, it's really on injectable, uh, injectable uh, devices. Um, that's what we were working on. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, and if you want to take it away, as we talked about earlier, that'd be great. And we can take it okay. from there. Thank okay. You. Well, International Standards Organization is um, the, a huge international group. They write standards for all kinds of things that are manufactured from, you know, standards for steel to standards for light bulbs from industrial uses to home uses and everything in between. Um, there's a standard for just about everything. There are 143 countries represented in International Standards Organization, which is abbreviated ISO. Um, and they, they, they just, there's a huge amount of work that they do. And the reason it's important for us is that they do write standards for medical things and in particular, they write standards for things that are for technology that's used to treat diabetes and devices that are used to treat diabetes. Now, I'm a diabetes educator. Um, I've been working as a diabetes ed educator since sometime in the 80s. Um, and that was my first job in diabetes care. I was hired by Cleveland Sight Center to run a program for people who have diabetes and either low vision or blindness. And that's where Tom and I met each other, and we became fr we quickly became friends, and we've been friends ever since. <laughs> and we've kept in touch, even though it's been many years since we both worked there. Um, and I got involved. I've I've ever since I worked at Cleveland Sight Center, I've always really taken an interest in how people self-manage diabetes with either poor vision or no vision. And um, even though I have done other kinds of work, that's the work everybody asks me about because so few diabetes educators, so few professionals know how to do this. And so I, that's been sort of my subspecialty all these years. Anytime I go to a national or an international diabetes forum, I make a beeline to all the insulin companies and all the meter companies. And I say, so when are you gonna make something that's more accessible? And after the insulin companies, companies came out with the pens, there was always a disclaimer in the pens that said not to be used by visually impaired or blind people without assistance from a sighted person. And we all know that pens can be used without assistance by a sighted person with no eyesight. Um, so um, I would always say to them, when are you going to take that disclaimer out? Um, later in my career, I became a researcher, and I actually did a small research project that showed that people who do not see well actually are more accurate than people who are sighted, because people who do not see well pay attention to each step in using an insulin pen that they need to do, and sighted people get sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> True so enough. When I did that project, it, it, it was statistically significant. Blind people were more accurate. 
Um, so then I said to the companies, why don't you take it out? Well, they wanted a bigger study and they have a right to ask for a bigger study, but I didn't have a bigger study funded. So I, I, you know, I couldn't do the project without the funding for the project. And I really believe one of the companies should. But anyway, I keep going and going and going every year. One year, somebody said to me, you need to talk with, and they named a name. And I found that person and talked with him. And it turned out that he was going to chair a committee for international standards organization to write standards for needle-based injection systems. So that's what an insulin pen is. But this standard can apply to anything that is a needle-based injection system, not just pens, um, for medical use. Um, so that if a company wants to put on their label that this is uh, accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired, then this is the standard they have to follow. I got invited to be on this group because I was known for my rabble rousing through <laughs> the years. <laughs> um, honestly, it got to the point sometimes where when I would head towards certain of the booths, if there were reps there who had seen me the previous year, some of them would hide because they didn't want to tell me they'd done nothing in the last <laughs> year. So, so anyway, I, I, I was known. And when I got asked to be on this group, I had done a lot of work um, on, um, on different kinds of accessibility and about, you know, I mean, I, I wrote a, you know, I have a PhD, so I wrote a dissertation about disabilities and so forth. And I was very aware that one of the mottos in disability communities is nothing about us without us. And so I said, well, of course, you are going to have a, a, a blind user in this group, aren't you? <laughs> and um, they said, um, oh, um, um, we hadn't thought of that. And I said, well, you have to have a blind user. There are things that people who are blind use their senses in ways that are different from the way sighted people use their senses. And I know a lot about things but I am not a blind person. And so I, I am a diabetes educator and I can tell you from the educator's point of view what we need to do working with blind people. But I can't tell you, I'm not a blind user. And right. so I, you need to have a blind user on as well because there will be questions that come up that, that uh, only a user will know the answer to. And the, so then they're, they're, they said, well, um, do you know a um, blind person with diabetes who is, oh, you know, sophisticated enough? And I said, yes, I do. A blind, a blind diabetic. <laughs> a blind diabetic who is sophisticated enough to be on an international standards group. I said, well, yeah, I think the guy who helps me out with computer questions when I have computer questions, he's probably a good person for this. <laughs> um, so they, so the upshot was they agreed to it and I put them in touch with Tom and Tom and I went to these meetings for three years. As we wrote this standard, we were very aware that it was the first of its kind. What we did with that as after we talked with the engineers about it and everything was we made sure that everything we wrote could easily be transported into other kinds of standards. So although this one is focused on needle-based injection systems, which would be insulin pens, 
but it also covers things like EpiPens. And, you know, it covers, there, there are a bunch of injections that people might need to use, some of whom are going to have low vision or blindness. So it'll cover all of those kinds of devices. Um, but there are parts of this that can easily be transported to a new standard for, let's just say, maybe something like a blood glucose meter or an insulin pump or something entirely different. So we, we wrote, we were careful about how we wrote this. Uh -huh. So we got the group together and we had our first meeting. And Tom, why don't you tell them about the first meeting? Sure, um, Chris, I heard you clear your throat. Right, can I continue? Uh, yeah, of course. Sure, okay. So, <clears throat> so here we are in this room. I'm the only blind guy at the table. And, uh, you know, I didn't know these people. I knew they were all engineers. Um, so <clears throat> I, um, just on a whim, and I've told Chris this story so he knows it, but I pulled up my iPhone and I put it in the air as I stood up and I said, how many people in the room have an iPhone? And of course, a lot of hands went up and uh, I said, guys, I can't see the hands. How many people have an iPhone? And they all said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We all have an iPhone. So for those of you in the audience, which I guess is the vast majority of you, um, have some kind of smartphone, whether it's iPhone or Android. But anyway, so I basically spent the next five seconds directing them how to uh, turn voiceover on, on their iPhones. And within literally five seconds, um, all these phones in the room were talking. Anne was sitting right next to me, and she turned to me and she said, Tom, if you could see the look on these engineers' faces, they had no idea that this degree of accessibility was built into iOS. They were shocked. Um, so knowing that I had the upper hand, I said, okay, ladies and gentlemen, I said, if Apple can do it, why can't you? And they also, oh, well, we could, we could, we could, you know, why can't we integrate this? And, you know, we could talk, we could do all kinds of stuff to integrate, you know, accessibility into durable metal equipment and all sort of stuff. So it was a very, um, I call it like an ice-breaking moment where they really, you know, had a personal experience with what accessibility is um, and how it worked for someone who was blind. And that was with iOS. Um, so from that initial meeting, it was pretty remarkable that a lot of these ladies and gentlemen who really didn't have a lot of experience or have any experience, any notion of what universal design was, what full accessibility was, um, um, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but again, we were together for three years, you know, in and out of different meetings, but I think it's fair to say that, you know, with, um, you know, some coaching, they began to understand the importance of uh, integrating universal design into their products, and I think they still have that uh, feeling these days, um, so it was, you know, we really got the ball rolling and um, it was a, just a tremendously fascinating three years working with these engineers and these guys and, and gals were on the cutting edge of developing this technology. So I wasn't talking to some third rate flunky, you know, in the development department, I was talking to the guys and gals that actually built this stuff. Um, it was pretty remarkable. And uh, so it took, you know, it took us a while, you know, but people eventually, you know, believe that this could be done. And so the standard, just to kind of bring the story, you know, full circle um, was written. And as Ann said, it was pretty broad so that we started out with uh, needle based uh, equipment, but it could be expanded to other things like glucose meters, 
continuous glucose monitors, um, you know, insulin pumps, you name it. Um, so I, I, it's my view that we really first got our foot in the door to help the people that develop the products understand what universal design is and developing things that were fully accessible. Um, and as, as Ann started to point out, I'll just kind of finish the thought is that uh, the standard that we, we actually worked on and, and got adopted through all 143 countries that are part of ISO um, is, a, is a voluntary standard, which means that uh, all the countries adopted it um, at face value. Uh, it basically shows the roadmap, you know, to make sure that if you're going to integrate full accessibility, universal design into your next, uh, you know, durable medical equipment device that um, you can follow the roadmap that this standard shows you. However, uh, the downside is, it's not really a downside, but there's a downside. It's not, um, it's not required. So uh, pharmaceutical companies are not required uh, in their next generation of biotech to integrate universal design into their products. Um, it's really a voluntary thing. But I mean, when Chris and I were talking about this, the important, I think, important thing I think is that you guys all need to keep in mind is that as we continue to build our advocacy work in this area, um, and we'll probably get into this, I'm sure, Chris, and some of the things that we're doing with ACB and ACBDA and uh, some of the other things we're doing, um, it gives us yet another tool in our toolbox that, that Chris and I thought would be inf important information for you all to add to your repertoire so that as you go out there and advocate either collectively or just even individually, that you know that you have the standard that can be pointed to to say, look, you've got the roadmap, now why don't you follow it and you know, get people to put some pressure on them. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's out there. Um, it's something that, you know, and we have access to that we can share reference materials to and, you know, maybe an entire standard, but um, it's pretty boring reading, guys. But anyway, <laughs> um, it uh, it's there. And it's, again, it's another tool in our toolbox to add to the argument as to why the next generation of biotech should be designed with universal design, full accessibility. So just like all things iOS and now all things Google Android are fully accessible to the end user based on what their needs are. Um, so I'll leave it there, right there, Chris, and um, see where you want to take this conversation. But um, well, let me ask you a question that may not be answerable. I don't know. Um, sure. You and you were kind enough a couple of years ago to send the standard out to a group of us who were talking about accessibility of, of blood glucose meters and CGMs. But is there a way for a lay person for you to tell us you know, in a minute or two, what the standard says, or is that just asking too much? <laughs> These standards are pretty daunting, I know. Okay. And, uh, but I wonder if there is something you might say as an overview. So the, our, our, our guiding thought in writing this standard is that every bit of information that's available to a sighted person needs to also be available to a blind person uh -huh. who's using this. And we also wanted to be sure that people with, um, with low vision could, could use it, 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 it could use everything. So the package itself has to be labeled in a way that a, that a blind person or a reader of large print 
can both know what's inside that package. Anything that, that you need to use the device, like instructions and expiration dates and so forth, needs to be, um, the information needs to be available in some way that a person who is blind or, or has low vision can sense it. Um, if the device requires dosing, the dosing mechanism needs to be available. If it requires, you know, when you do the injection, um, that you need to be able to tell that the injection has been completed. If it's empty, you need to be able to tell that it's empty. So all those, so what we went through step by step, we went through all the information that is available to sighted people. And we said, we wrote standards that made sure that that information would in some way be available to blind people or, or, or people with low vision. Okay. Well, that's great. That, that's very helpful, actually. It gives people a sense of, of what a standard is, because a lot of folks just aren't going to know that. Yeah. We didn't sort of... say, yeah. We didn't say that it has to be available audio. For example, when you're dialing an insulin pen, although there are clicks, most people don't actually use the audio clicks as much as they use the, the tactile click. Yes. Yes. Right. The, the okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and that's sighted people too, by the way, most people who are sighted count up the back real quick. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, sighted people can look at the little window and say, did I end up in the right place? Um, right. But, but there, there, so, so we didn't say it has to be audio. We just said it has to be, uh, it has to be available to the senses. Mm -hmm. Accessible. Right. Yeah. Well, I, have, I have one more question, but I'm going to hold that question. And uh, just as a roadmap, it's about 25 after the hour. Mm -hmm. I'd like to invite people to ask questions and uh, make whatever comments you want for a little bit. And then, um, Anne, without meaning to put you on the spot, I, I hoped we could spend a little time before the call's over and ask you if you would just talk to the people here about diabetic education and using okay. a diabetic educator because for me, diabetic educators were so helpful in assisting me in learning how to be a, a reasonably responsible person with diabetes. Mm -hmm. Most people, and I do mean most, of the people I talk to and members of ACBDA <clears throat> have never used a diabetic educator, and I think that's terrible. Um, I'm not blaming anybody. Uh, they just don't know about their existence or how to get in touch with them uh, and so sure. forth. And a lot of the so, diabetes educators, Chris, also don't understand or have any experience and expertise like Ann does in, mm -hmm. in, in dealing with diabetes and vision impairments. So it's, I guess I was lucky. I yeah, found a couple yeah. who, who really, uh, you know, taught me the ropes and took me to task when I wasn't <laughs> using the ropes good enough. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, anyway... Before and I think, that, I think that circle is getting bigger, which is the good news. Um, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Before, before we go there, though, let me entertain any questions or comments from uh, everybody here about the ISO standard itself. Uh, if I someone have has a question. question. Yes, who's that? That's Rod. Hey, Rod. And I just wanted to ask, did you have to educate yourself in how to talk to under to engineers, so they understood we heard, what we heard of Air Force Base. Because sometimes engineers can be very hard 
to, to communicate with. Well, let, let me give you an example um, of one of the things that I thought was interesting exchange with the engineers that, you know, these guys, you're right, they're, they're very technically oriented. They're, you know, they're the, they're the gurus, right? They're the brainiacs. They know how this stuff works. And so we were talking about, you know, you know, developing full accessibility for these products. And one of them, the engineers raised their hand and said, Oh, but what, what happens, what happens if like you let, your smart device, your smartphone, like run out of batteries and like you can't use it to do what you need to do with the, you know, the accessible features of this device. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot engineer stupidity out of the equation. Sorry, Tom. Sorry, Tom. Hey, there's someone here. Yeah, someone's talking. Conversation. Please mute yourself. Please mute yourself. You're just disrupting the entire call. And that's not fair to the people here. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I was distracted. I wasn't sure if that was feedback or what, but no. anyway, so the bottom line was, is that this engineer was trying to engineer something that really wasn't engineerable. Uh, you can't engineer for stupidity. If I let my smart device run on a power, thus giving me the inability to interact with the, the durable medical equipment that I need to, to, to look at, like a CGM or something, that's not his fault. That's my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had some interesting exchanges that this is one that popped into my mind because I thought, wow, these guys are thinking of it from so many different angles, but we, as you know, the blind consumer, visually impaired consumer, we have a responsibility to be able to, you know, handle ourselves and keep our devices that are crucial in helping us better manage our diabetes at our fingertips. I agree. I are an engineer. And uh, during one of my first classes, Instructor said, everybody tries to engineer something to be idiot-proof. Never, never, <laughs> never underestimate the ingenuity of an idiot. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it was it was a it was a real eye opener because I said, look guys, you know you can't engineer for somebody that's an idiot. I'm you just can't. So I'll leave it at that. But that was a really interesting exchange. So I appreciate. Oh, um, uh, Rod, you asked if I had to learn to speak engineer ease. <laughs> I, I've been married to an engineer for several decades now, <laughs> and uh, so I didn't have to learn it for this particular meeting because I've spent a few decades learning <laughs> it. That's the unique, that's the unique uh, okay. skill, though, that the person that you had to be able to communicate, because engineers are hard to communicate with. Yeah, uh, they, yeah. Uh, they get it focused on the technical side and they forget about the human side. Yeah. You're right. But um, yeah. this was a pretty special group of people. I got to tell you, I mean, we would we'd work hard, but we'd socialize and have a good time. And they were pretty they were pretty, uh, pretty neat people to be around. I was mm-hmm. never bored talking to these folks. So, yeah, yeah, great, great. I see some people here are now unmuted and maybe they're unmuted because they'd like to ask a question. So can I ask a question? Yeah. No, just there a are a couple, there just, are a couple just a people just, with raised hands. So, Anne, what uh, were you going to say? Oh, just there's a question in chat that's been there for a while. Yeah, go ahead and let's do that first. Okay, so the question in chat says, I really, really want to be able to use a closed loop system. I use a, a, a CGM, so a continuous glucose monitoring <clears throat> system, Dexcom, and tried using an insulin pump in the past, but got into trouble with kinks in the tubing and too many bolus dosing. What are the roadblocks for the blind person to using a closed loop system? And what might the solutions be? Okay, and what companies could be targeted? 
So I'm, I'm going to say this. I know uh, quite a few people who are blind who do use insulin pumps. And I used to do training. Um, I was a pump trainer for a while. And I used to teach blind people how to use insulin pumps. It is possible. I'm not sure where the kinks in the tubing are coming from. I, I can think of a few problem solving things to do, but they are not designed for that use. So they're not, there's not, there's not easy accessibility. There's, there's sort of minimal accessibility for insulin pumps. And I think absolutely advocating with the pump companies um, is, a, is a good idea. Um, Minimed was for a long time kind of the biggest and the most, you know, the most commonly used and it still is pretty commonly used. Um, I, I have diabetes myself. I use a tandem. It has a flat screen and it is not particularly accessible, but it is a really nice pump and mm -hmm. it has a lot of innovations in it. And I consider that company to be a company that would be the most likely to innovate. Yeah. So I would suggest going to tandem, but I don't know, Tom, maybe you have some other ideas. Yeah, I think, I think um, as far as, um, you know, better manage your, your, your diabetes with vision impairment. Um, I was on a pump for 23 years, guys. So um, I started out with a pump that had, had no accessibility whatsoever. I had to count the clicks up and count them down as the insulin was delivering. And if it was overshooting, I'd had to put the pump in suspend to stop it. So that's not a really sophisticated way to deliver insulin, but it worked for me. <laughs> I was willing to do it, but um, even in today's pumps with audible bolusing, I mean, that's all well and good, guys. You can deliver a bolus, but there's so many other so many other functionality uh, that, that's available in a pump these days that those of us that don't see well don't have access to. Um, and I, I would actually add to what Ann said. I th Medtronic, in my opinion, has lost its edge. I think there are other people that are are, are uh, you know passing them by. Uh, Tana being one, Insulate being another. But as far as the, the, the kinks of the tubing, Ann and I, you know, developed way back when, when I first went on an insulin pump, a, you know, a set of steps that I went through when I filled the reservoir, made sure I got all the air out of the reservoir, which is very doable by a blind person. Um, then, you know, attaching the infusion set and getting that primed properly so that there was no air in the infusion set. And then, um you know, introducing the infusion set under your skin, either with, you know, manually or by through some kind of an injecting device, um, and then making sure that it was, uh, you know, taped down properly. I'm thoroughly convinced having done it for 23 years, and I didn't get off a pump because I was having issues with that. I, I went off a pump because I got some issues with scar tissue buildup, and I was getting occlusions where the you know, the insulin wasn't delivering properly. So I had to give my stomach a rest, and uh, so I've been do using pens for for four years. Um, but I'm fully convinced that if you can develop a step-by-step -step process, someone who's totally blind can use, uh, I would say any device um, if it's made, you know, accessibly, but um, I don't, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a subject matter expert on all the pumps out there today, but I do know that a lot of the pumps very much like some of the smartphones need to be unlocked first. And that requires you touching a quote unquote virtual button on the screen. And if you can't see where that virtual button is, you can't unlock the pump. Um, mm -hmm. So that is a barrier. And I've had uh, a couple of my pump trainers, uh, not Ann, but other pump trainers uh, tell me when I've gone mm -hmm. to 
Medtronic meetings uh, that Tom, forget it. You're as, as, as able as you are to do this, simply not being able to see the screen rules out a pump for you right now. And that was really discouraging. Um, so that's, that's my experience using a pump. It, you know, some of the logistical things of, of priming, you know, filling the reservoir, priming the tubing, all that stuff can definitely be done by someone who's totally blind. But the problem is that we got to make sure that the pumps themselves can be used by those of us that don't see well. And that's, that's, exactly. that's to me, my issue. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Tom, you had generation. a couple of other hands raised. Yes. Huh? I was just going to acknowledge that. Uh, just wondering if you wanted to take those now. Yes. There's yes, a couple that you can, you can go ahead. There's the one that, that most I've been there for the longest, I think is, is area code nine, five, one and seven. Yeah. Hi. And Nancy yes. Younger, how are you doing? Okay. Hey, Nancy, good um, Nancy, how are you? Uh, fine, thank you. Fine. I have a, I, I'm, you know, I have a, a, a prodigy voice, but I'm, I'm. What, what, what is the best readout for? I don't, I don't have a continuous glucose meter yet. I'm, I'm, I have an Android phone, six point oh, but you know, are, are they good with Android? What, what is the best readout with the blood versus no blood um, monitors? I just don't understand that yet. As far as blood glucose meters go. Yeah, blood or, or 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 the continuous glucose compared to the glu continuous glucose meters. Yes. Well, you know, Ann can probably answer this question better technically, but I'll just tell you that I used a Prodigy voice for years, very successfully. My A1Cs were in the sixes. Uh, so so is mine. That's that's excellent. Yeah. That's excellent. So I made the move with Chris and some other of my uh, blind diabetic friends to Libre. I think about three years ago, and. Um, well, it's not perfect. I, I like it for a couple of different reasons. So I'll just explain why I like it. Um, it's really easy to apply the sensor. Chris actually put out some really, really good educational podcasts on how to do it. Um, they're very clear and very much to the point, um, which I followed to help me get up to speed on that. Um, so that was very helpful. Um, I find that uh, in the, in the you know, situation uh, around testing your blood sugar in public it's not exactly you know you know great to have to do it in front of people so the cgm system with libra you just scan your phone across the sensor and it reads your what your blood sugar is um so it's a much more private thing and of course not that you get away from uh doing finger sticks you know totally but for the mass, vast majority of time I, I only use finger sticks if I'm questioning what the le the reading is on my Libre. I will say this though, um, and this is just you know my experience as a Libre user, um, and others who may be on it can can agree or disagree. But it's been my experience that it's not really very accurate on a lower blood sugar reading level. So any, for me, anything under 70 milligrams, um, I find that it's not accurate. Um, so. I found out by doing finger sticks to check that if my blood, if the Libre says my blood sugar is 56, it's more like 30, 30 points higher, like 86, which of course is very much in a low normal range. So that's my one, I guess, critique of Libre. Uh, right. you've, Chris knows more about this than I, but Libre 2.0 is supposed to address some of these issues. Okay. Well, I want to get to some other questions yep. here. Yeah. I, I, would, I would say this, uh, Nancy and all, I don't know there's any best meter or any best solution. It so depends on your personal situation and your personal okay. needs. Um, okay. But, I would uh, agree. You know, 
more the decision for you would be, do I continue to use a blood glucose monitor or do I try and use a continuous glucose mm -hmm. monitor? And I do believe that for blind people, if there's any way you can move yourself to a continuous glucose monitor, at least in, in the progressive step of, of measurement and, and uh, treatment, that is a great step for anyone to take. And the reason I say it is because you will test far more, you will learn far more about your body and its use of, of uh, or lack thereof, of uh, blood sugar. Right. Okay. Tom, who else do we have? We have Thank Diane Scalzi, I think, Nancy, is up you, there, you too. Star six. Yes. I would appreciate that. And uh, Diane, go ahead. Okay, thanks. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Diane from Michigan. Um, first of all, uh, a couple, just a couple of comments. Um, uh, well, actually, three comments. Um, I've, I've worked with two diabetes educators, and they were both wonderful to work with, especially the one who uh, taught me how to, uh, how to inject my insulin with the uh, Lantus pen. Mm -hmm. And um, she basically, we watched a video together from, uh, from Lantus, you know, that explained it quite well, even though it was visual, it, it had really good description on it. And then, you know, we actually uh, practiced with it. So um, I was very happy with that experience. And uh, the second thing I have is I wonder why other companies besides Prodigy don't seem to have the um, glucose monitors, you know, the, um, where, where you got to stick your finger. Um, I also heard, I can't remember where I heard it from, but having the, the continuous monitor that they wouldn't, like the insurance companies don't allow it if someone only tests their sugar once a day, I'd be curious about that. And um, well, oh, the, the 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 other the the other last thing I had was um, you said that that you have a standard in place where they w there would be a way to know when your pen was running low, and um, I have not found any way or been given any way to do that with the uh, Solastar pen. Um, so basically what I wind up doing is I know how many units are in there and I count them, you know, after like seven days, you know, to see how many I have left. And I have to remember to do that. And if I forget, well, huh, then it gets interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just, and do you want to address that? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. The standard exists, but it's a voluntary standard. So it only goes into a, they, they have to do that only if they want to label their product as being accessible to visually impaired people. Right now, not many companies are using it, but what we would like to convince them of, you know, a, tw a full 20% of people in the United States have vision that is low enough that it impairs reading regular print. That's 20, per, you know, that's a lot of people. Yeah. That's yes, a big is. market. Yes, it is. And, and so the thing is to, the companies always say, well, it's not worth going through all that just for such a tiny population. Well, it's not a tiny population. And that's what they need to learn. So, so your Lantus pen that you have right now, Diane, it doesn't meet the standard. 
right. and they're not trying to meet the standard right now. But what, what you can do in advocacy is say, there's a standard out there that would make this fully accessible to me. It's not fully accessible right now. Could you please, you know, would you consider following that standard? And it's a big market and you would have, yep. a, you would really be able to have better business if you were serving that larger market. Yeah, I don't, okay. I don't mind count. I don't mind counting how many clicks I have left, you know, uh -huh. after seven days. I mean, it's a way, it's a solution, but it's not ideal by any means. Right. 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 Yeah. Not, I'll tell you what I used to teach, Diane. Uh -huh. um, because because we don't have a company that does that right now that makes you that tells you how much insulin is left. So what I used to teach people is you know how many days worth of doses you're going to get out of the 300 units that are in a typical pen. You know, so let's just say because the because the arithmetic is easy, let's just say you use 50 units each day. Right. And that, that, that means at the end of six days, you would have used up everything in that pen. Count out six needles and put that, set those aside. And when you get to the bottom of that pile of needles, it's time to start a new pen. Ah, th that, that's, that's a, a great idea. idea. <laughs> Thanks. I like, I like that. Yeah, it's just a little simple thing. Yeah, if yeah. I could just make one. Diane, the whole issue of insurance, I don't want to get into tonight. Yeah. Essentially what you're saying is correct. And, uh, but different insurance companies do different things. Different people get different answers from insurance. Try your best. My, my best was that I buy my own, uh, sensors ah. uh, and, and so forth. Tom, you wanted to make a brief comment? I will. So just back to your question about why is it only Prodigy Voice on the market, Diane? Um, just a brief history lesson. Back in the late 80s, Ann and I worked with uh, Johnson & Johnson LifeScan, who had the One Touch 2, mm. and we convinced them to bring their engineers to Cleveland uh, to educate us on how we can make that blood glucose meter accessible, um, which eventually we did through a talking attachment connected to their data port. Well, during the 80s and 90s, about a 12-year period, Diane, there was what I called a revolution in adaptive diabetes management where all the pharmaceutical companies jumped on board. I shouldn't say all, but a lot of them jumped on board because they wanted to be part of the movement. So for 12 years, there was a really powerful movement out there to make, in this case, blood glucose meters fully accessible and available to people who are blind and visually impaired and diabetic um, to the point where we actually had a choice. So I, my point to all of you is that we need to create another revolution like that with all these other pieces of equipment that are out there and get farmer to understand that with a little bit of tweaking, a little bit of this and that, they can make their devices fully accessible. And let me tell you, LifeScan, who is a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson, and Chris would agree with this, I think, that they got amazing accolades from the blinds community, amazing accolades from the corporate community, and of course, amazing accolades from people like you and me who are blind. Um, it was a win-win-win across the board, and we've got to make pharma understand that the same thing can happen today if they just, you know, follow, you know, their own concept. If they think prevention of complications is important, then they must make their devices accessible. I'm going to tag team with Tom on this one. Um, just that more and more pieces of diabetes equipment are interacting with smartphones. Uh -huh. So if it's already interacting with a smartphone, it, it should be accessible. But 
um, not all the companies do the little bit of extra programming. And it's not very much, but the little bit of extra programming to make sure that it, it works well with voiceover or some other kind of voice system. Mm -hmm. So um, it just, you know, just advocating with the companies to make sure if it already, if the equipment already interacts with a smartphone, that it, that it works well with uh, any voice system that's in that phone. Mm -hmm. Good point. Good point. Uh, anybody else with questions? Yes, I have a question. My name is Linda, and yes. um, <clears throat> I worked, uh, oh boy, that was the late 80s with uh, the diabetes educators in Philadelphia. I was the um, diabetes advisor on in an independent living center there. So I was really glad to hear that um, you guys are doing what you're doing too. Um, my question is, what actually is the name of the standard that we can use when we self-advocate? And I'm sure the group will advocate, too, as a whole. Um, what's, what's the referral name that we can use? Um, it's just, it's, just a minute. I'm going to get it up on my phone. It's a number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. forget that. I won't remember it. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, might. Just, you might. It's good it's, to have it on this called, call, though. It's called oh, okay. ISO one one six zero eight hyphen seven. Okay, and it's called the 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 words are needle based injection system for medical use hyphen requirements and tests methods hyphen part seven colon accessibility for persons with visual impairment. Could okay. we just say okay. the standard for accessibility for people with vision well it's needle-based injection systems so it's a subset oh. there's a whole set of standards for needle-based injection systems okay. and this I is a I... this is this okay. is a subset of that it's it's okay. part seven of needle-based injection system standards okay can someone something... post that to the list that's what i was going to ask is this going to be posted anywhere we can do that absolutely okay yeah. thank Good. you so... Here, I'll screenshot this and send it to Tom, and then he can send it on to you. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you very much. Any other questions about the ISO standard? We have a couple more raised hands here, I see. Okay. There is a 470 and 186. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Angela, and I'm from uh, New Jersey, and I want to know about the smartphone and the uh, Dexcom 6. Now, I've been to um, a diabetic um, educator. Uh, she was able to uh, put the um, apps um, on the smartphone, and I've been on quite a few of the listservs. Nobody has these directions. Uh, can you possibly send that out through the um, email list on how to sync the Dexcom with the phone? I know that we do have some Dexcom users. I don't know if any are here tonight. And I, I can tell you this, um, on our call next month, we are going to have a representative from Dexcom uh, with us for, for the hour, or as long as you guys have questions for her. Uh, but you shouldn't have to wait a month to get this information. I'm told that Dexcom technical support is very well versed in working with blind and visually impaired users 
of the iPhone and Android and can help you. But you, you'd have to. Um, I tried it. Didn't work. The, okay. They're very difficult to um, um, understand, and really, um, I don't have the patience. Um, I wanted to know them um, also. I belong to this group, and I never get your um, emails. Um, if I give someone my um, email um, address, can you send me out the um, emails, please? Hold on just a second. We we have an email list, uh, which you can subscribe to, but uh, tell me your email address. Yes. Um, excuse me? Tell me your email address, please. Okay. It's A-N-G-3-4-5. Mm-hmm. X mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Okay. I'll get in touch with if, Angela. If you could please add add me. I really I really would appreciate it. Right. Okay. I'll I'll send you an email. We'll see what we can work out for you. Wonderful. Chris, Thank I, I you just, so much. I would, just, I would just add Angela too that I do know people that are using the Dexcom system with their smartphone uh, very independently. There are two ways you can do it. You can scan the sensor, which is not easy if you can't see. And also uh, you can use some of the um, uh, apps like Be My Eyes to actually read the number on the sensor to you, and then you can just type it into the app. So it is very doable for someone that can't see it. Uh, we'll we'll hook you up with some people. Yeah, we'll figure you out. So find out. Okay. Yeah, um, I have a low vision. Okay. So I can't see it. Yeah. Right. But we'll, it's we'll just getting the directions to do it. It will help okay. you out, Angela. Very good. Uh, one more Thank question. Thank you so much, guys. You got two more. You got, I got uh, Linda's uh, iPhone is up there. And I'd like to sign up. Uh, where do we go if we want to become a member of DIA? ACBDAORG <laughs> at gmail.com. Yeah, I see where you're going. Oh, that's the email. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's where you would send an email to subs- uh, get more information on how to subscribe. There you go. Okay, A-C-B-D-A-O-R-G. And leave with them, leave, uh, if you send an email, at gmail.com. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's at uh, gmail. A-C-B-D-A-O-R-G at gmail.com. Leave your name and phone number for them to contact you. Uh, and uh, we'll be glad to get some more information from you. And that will help you help us help you. Wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. One uh Actually, I think we don't really have time for more questions. Uh, and I'm shortchanging your time on <laughs> talking about diabetic. Well, diabetic okay, education. I I can be I can be really fast on this one. Right. Okay. Um, a, a every diabetes educator should be able to work with blind and visually impaired people. That is not completely the reality today, but most of the people in the big diabetes centers can. Diabetes programs, in order to receive reimbursement from Medicare, and every diabetes program needs that, they have to have certification either from what used to be called American Association of Diabetes Educators, but they changed the name. Now it's Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. They certify programs, and the American Diabetes Association certifies programs. 
and you want to look for a certified program, there's a list on the um, on the website for ADCES, um, and that website is diabeteseducator.org. And then Google, uh, once you're in that site, Google into that site, find a diabetes educator, and they will that you'll be able to find out where is a where is a certified program near you. I would not go to a program that is not certified, not that they might not have a good diabetes educator there, but they're not likely to be large enough to have the depth of skills that you need to, to get the right kind of instruction as a blind person. Right. But okay. if you have a referral to somebody who's an individual in private practice and you know they can work with blind people, go right ahead. <laughs> sure, right. something's better than nothing. Uh, and tell me one right. more time, where do people go? I want to write it's this down. The, I'll put it the website the is www.diabeteseducator, all run together, no spaces, mm -hmm. dot org. Okay. W and then within that site, Google find an educator and you'll get it. You'll get the list. Excellent. Find an educator. I'll in order to be certified, you mm -hmm. have to you have to show all kinds of things about the quality of your program. And so the certified programs really generally mm -hmm. are doing a pretty, pretty good job. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I won't say all of them can work with blind people, but most of them can. Super, super. I, I just try whenever I talk to a person, especially a person who is new to diabetes, but even people who just have never even seen an endocrinologist who have had yes. diabetes for years, go find a diabetic educator. Uh, it, it'll, it'll help you a lot. I, uh, used to, I used to hear a lot of people who said, I've had diabetes education, and what they had was about two hours at the beginning that was considered survival level education, not oh the in-depth education. Mm. Everybody with diabetes needs in-depth education. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Tom, hey, do we hey, still have a hand hey. raised? I think I heard Rod's voice saying something. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, you cannot learn what you need to know about <clears throat> diabetes in a single setting. It takes quite a bit of time and a bit of trial and error. You need to be in contact with somebody. When I was diagnosed, there was no such thing as a diabetes educator. Mm -hmm. uh, and I went through a program at the Virginia Mason Hospital in Seattle, which in the 60s was a pretty big deal. But it's still, you need somebody you can go back and refer to because there's things that you need to know that you didn't know you needed to know until you had a new. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It never ends, Rod. It's an ever, every day is a battle, right? It's, not a, it's battle. a circle. I've been at this as long as anybody else on this call and probably longer. If you've been around for the 60s, you sure have. <laughs> yes. Well, December 1963. Good for you. I have to make a call on this one. We are at 7.59 Central Time. Off. Right. And I think people are leaving. They're so leaving. I think we may need to. Where the bell tolls, you... Chris. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and could I ask you to repeat that ISO number one more time? I wasn't in a position to write it down right at the moment you were telling us. And okay, just a minute. Put that on the list. It's ISO 
1-1-6-0-8-7. Okay. And needle. Needle-based based injection systems for medical use. For medical use. Okay, um, I will put this out on our list. And part seven. And I want to thank you all so much for coming. Um, this is great. It was very helpful, and you guys are both subject matter experts we're, we're so fortunate to have. And uh, I want to thank anybody who hasn't left yet <laughs> for coming. <laughs> Great to have everybody here today. And uh, we can see you again one month from today, the fourth Monday of November. Wow. Thank you all very much from the American Council. Okay, thank you for asking me. Oh, you and thank, thank thanks, you Chris. Much, thanks, guys. Tom. Thanks. Great evening. Great. We great. appreciate it. We yeah. appreciate it. Good night, everybody. everybody. Good night. Good night.